Today's episode is brought to you by Bugaboo, award-winning prams and strollers to help families create endless moments of fun and discovery every step of the way. Bugaboo believes that families don't have to go all that far to discover a world of something new. Designing extraordinary parenting solutions that make spending time together with your child exciting, memorable, and most importantly, fun, no matter where you go. Hello and welcome. Well, as parents, it's our responsibility to provide children their best start to life. You know, would you believe that providing a strong nutritional foundation and healthy future for children starts as early as three months prior to conception? Yep. Would you believe that? Now, you may have heard about the importance of the first 1,000 days of a child's life and how it is a foundational period that shapes their development and their well-being. Today, we are going to deep dive into what the first 1,000 days refers to and and to provide you with supportive, evidence-based information and advice from an industry expert and our special guest, Christy Manners, a paediatric and women's health dietitian and breastfeeding counsellor from Growth Spectrum. Now, I have to just tell you a little bit about our guest because she is absolutely extraordinary. Now, Christy um, overall is going to help us canvas, I guess, the key nutritional considerations that you should factor into your pregnancy plan uh, amongst a heap of other wonderful information and supportive tips to help you determine where you may or may not potentially have some gap gaps. Um, so Christy is a university-trained uh, dietitian with a diverse health and nutrition background. She is an expert in infant and child feeding and has over 15 years' work experience as an ambulance uh, paramedic in Western Australia. Now, she specialises in maternal and child health, having trained as paediatric clinical dietetics in the um, all lots of different universities, um, unbelievable. And Christy is also passionate about breastfeeding, uh, particularly after her own struggles trying to bre- breastfeed her own child. And this has led her to being trained to be an IBCLC lactation consultant to better support mothers in providing optimum and nutrition to their child. Now, she's worked over overseas with some incredible organizations uh, for the uh, the WHO, the World Health Organization, and the ICRC, the Red Cross, and other international humanitarian organizations, and eight years' experience in managing malnutrition centers and running maternal and child health nutrition programs in Albania, Cambodia, and Africa. This lady is absolutely unbelievable. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you? (laughs) Thanks, Rachel. Thank you for that um, that that bio. That's uh, yeah. Just it always um, it sort of amazes myself sometimes of how diverse my life has been and how interesting it has been. Um, so yeah, no, thank you for um, for sharing that. It I've been very privileged to to be in the countries and working with the people that I've worked with. So um, yeah, thank you for for um for sharing that oh well there, there was more but I, um, I think it would have taken up half of our <laughs> interview but we just want to give I guess the audience some indication of um just the depth and and uh, of your knowledge and your experience and um you know your experience really is incredible so congratulations on all your achievements to date now and you really have that holistic blend of evidence-based nutritional guidance and breastfeeding education which is perfect for what we're chatting about today you know and I understand you've always had that desire you know to want to make the world a better place by 
by helping people heal physically, emotionally, and mentally. Um, but this passion, I believe, grew when you lived in Pakistan as a child where your parents worked as missionaries. Just really quickly, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? And I guess, has any of that helped shape what you do now? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I blame my parents for my travel bug. Um, <laughs> when, when, uh, yeah, we, we went over to Pakistan when I was about eight and, um, yeah, just obviously experiencing for the first time, um, inequality, poverty, um, all those different things. And it really just made me want to become a doctor at the time. And, and it were even during sort of the rest of my edu- uh, education in high school. And, um, uh, yeah, unfortunately didn't get into medicine, um, but I then um, decided to go into the paramedic stream. So that uh, that sort of led me into all these other sort of paths, I suppose, that you've, you've also mentioned. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose I've always just had not only the desire to, to help people, um, and I think a lot of people in the health industry do have that desire. It's, I've also got that, um, that curiosity about different cultures and learning from different cultures because it's, it's you know there's this two-way learning as well and yeah. um, I think that's really really important um so yeah so I've, I've I've yeah then obviously just tried to to work in that humanitarian field over the years and and it's led me into some amazing countries and and have experiences and um and uh yeah just, just like I said a, a privilege to to to, to experience and I think since motherhood as well um it's given me a whole new um, set of eyes on that um, and what women have to go through, you know, mm. uh, like in Somalia, for example, you know, women walking hundreds of, of kilometres to to get help, you know, medical help and water and all those sort of things. They're dehydrated, malnourished, and they're trying to breastfeed. Um, Unbelievable. Let alone if they had a tongue tie or the baby had a tongue tie or, you know, all these other sort of, you know, um, issues that come up in, in our sort of society around breastfeeding. Um, yeah, so it it's definitely gave me a, um, a different set of eyes when, once I had my own child. Yeah, and I guess, you know, following in, in your, your parents' footsteps um, and continuing to work with those humanitarian organisations, like, like I was saying before, the World Health Organisation and uh, the Red Cross um, and, and managing, you know, mal- malnutrition, feeding centres, um, all of those, those countries that, you know, a mother's, you know, deepest love and devotion to her baby's needs are undoubtedly the same in every corner of the globe. I mean, is there anything else that you can tell us about your experiences from there and anything that we can learn from them maybe? Um, I think definitely in the countries I've worked in that sense of it takes a village to raise a child um, is, is so true. And, I, I mean, I'm married to a, to a Kenyan and so... Some of my Kenyan family often are like, oh, you know, it would be wonderful to come and live in Australia. Um, it's sort of this sense of, oh, it's easier for mums in in a um, high-income sort of country. But then then I sort of look back at going, well, my time in Kenya, um, I had family support around me. Um, it was cheaper to have house help um, as well. You know, all these sort of things that help mothers. Um, whereas in in our society, often two two um, people have to work in the family, the husband, the, the partner, and 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 the mum, and um, and then often we don't have that, you know, the aunts, the cousins, you know, all those people around to help in that sort of social setting. So, um, and and again, 
uh, in some of those cultures, you've got you know the, those forty days postpartum or those mm-hmm. sort of um, times where the mothers really do rest and they're given the best foods and those rich um, foods that are rich in iron and and collagen and all those sort of healing foods. So, so yeah, it, it, like I said, it, it's a two, like as much as I, I've, I've been in these situations where I'm helping people, it's also um, you know, there's so much that we can learn from that in in our own society on on parenting and motherhood and and our bodies and healing as well. Yeah. Well, let's deep dive into all of this stuff. Now, I wanted to acknowledge we published your article titled How Nutrition Impacts Mother and Baby During the First 1,000 Days. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, please tell us just really briefly what the article's about and what inspired you to write it. And of course, we'll have a link in the show notes for it, uh, for people to read it too. Well, I could give a summary. Obviously, we're going to talk, you know, going deep dive into it a little bit more. Um, but uh, yeah, it just, it, it talks a little bit about what the thousand days are, why they're important, and um, some of the different stages um, uh, around those one thousand days. Nice. So, mm. if if we you know sort of talk about that definition, it's um, it's basically from conception, as you had mentioned, and through to the age of age of two, and uh, a lot of pediatricians, neuroscientists, early childhood experts, you know, have found that that period is a really um, uh, vulnerable and uh, also profound window of opportunity for development um, where not only nutrition but also um, security, love, um, uh, safety, um, the relationships that are built is really important to affect uh, a baby's life into their adulthood. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can just sorry, I could go on, yeah, but if we can. Uh, yeah, um, so I just understand that, yeah, so the first 1,000-day period time really has been identified by neuroscientists, pediatricians and other early childhood experts as a period of just profound development that shapes a baby's future life. Um, and so just identifying, if we are to define it, would you say the first 1,000 days of a baby's life um, is that? that period of time from conception through to the age of two, just confirming, is, is that what it is? That's the time period. Um, now, obviously, before conception, um, a mother's health and a, and a father's health are also very important. So that's, you know, it, that that's the time period that they've defined as 1,000 days. I do feel it, that, that that time in the future and in research will change. You know, maybe it's, 2000 days for example um but particularly you know what parents do before conceiving is really important and then um you know through those sort of pivotal years um also and I'll, I'll mention in a little bit is that our the baby's brain development it, the most 80% of the brain develops up until they're 3 so that's a really really important period where um, as parents we can also affect that brain development. Um, so, yeah, so th- that whole whole range, um, so I would say it's probably a bit more than 1,000 days, but I think it's probably uh, a more sellable, uh, marketable um, way is, is to, to actually say it's the first 1,000 days. Okay. So just just quickly then, so what are babies at risk of due to inadequate nutrition just during that prenatal phase then? Oh, um, maybe if we we break it down a little, little bit more. Yeah. Um, those, those phases. Okay, the preconception uh, phase, maybe. 
Yeah, and maybe just to preface that, um, I suppose a lot of the, um, the reason a lot of this is sort of coming about is this sort of emerging science around epigenetics and how nutrition and um, that nurturing environment can really modify the way the genes are expressed. And it, it's nearly in this um, these pivotal um, days or this first 1,000 days that um, it can create this sort of blueprint for future adaptations to the environment. Um so, for example, earlier interventions have been shown to um, improve adult cardiovascular health when when we um, in ensuring that infants and and um, fetuses are in this this nurturing environment, um, even fostering those sort of secure, affectionate relationships. Um, uh, they've shown that can engender empathy and self control, inhibiting crime and violence later on. Um, so that there's it, it's like I said, it's a very important stage that can um, be this blueprint um, for, for future um, future issues. Um, the uh, and and the thing is, by impacting uh, our children at this early stage, it it because it can impact um, our that their, their adulthood. It can also affect. Their um, their income, their jobs, wow. their, their their intellectual um, abilities later in life, and all of these things. And this is why it's become, I suppose, such a, a global, um, um, a, a global, a, a, yeah, global focus because of the impact it has on economies and, um, uh -huh. and our countries as a whole. So um, if if we're not making sure our children grow up healthy, then, you know, it's obviously going to affect their health later on, which then is costing our health system. It's affecting um, uh, issues around, like, you know, saying crime or job security or, you know, or, um, uh, you know, just being able to get out of poverty as well. Wow. So yeah, there's lots of things that can imp impact it. Uh, so, that, so, so what I'm hearing you say then, it's really crucial for for mothers and fathers really to seize this window of opportunity during this prenatal phase, uh, just to enhance opportunities for the baby's future. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and um, yeah, so. Could, so I was just going to say, if we could just maybe just walk through maybe just each one of the phases, like you were saying before, if we could maybe start with the preconception phase would be great. And and, and like from your perspective too, in, in with your experience, what's the role of nutrients in the preconception phase and, and DNA? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, I mean, the, these first 1,000 days have also um, shown to set the stage for later obesity, diabetes and other chronic diseases. They're sort of the main ones that have been studied um, the, the most. Um, but, uh, for example, iron, um, when there is prenatal and um, early iron deficiency, this can also affect um the baby's brain, then you'll wow. as well. That that can be not can not can can be non-reversible as well. And I think um that's something that often with the mums that I'm I'm around, oh you know, yeah, my iron, yeah, I'm taking my prenatal sometimes. Um yeah, I'm just a little bit tired. Not understanding iron is really important. You know, it puts you at risk of hemorrhage, low low um low uh, birth weight child um 
you know, all these sort of things, but also it can affect the development of your baby, especially in, in the brain development that can sometimes be non-reversible. So, um, and it's interesting with iron, for example, uh, in adolescence, iron deficiency can also be associated with this sort of impairment, brain impairment, but it's reversible with iron treatment. <clears throat> Whereas in that sort of prenatal um, infant stage, it's it's actually not reversible. So there's different stages as well of where we can intervene that can um, have effect, and then other times it's too late. So, so in, um, the, in, in the planning phase then for couples wanting to start their family, what should they do to ensure their bodies have the optimum nutritional foundation then? Uh, I think probably one of the most important or I feel the most important is is looking around um, their their weight, having a healthy weight before going into um, into pregnancy. I mean, weight also. Um, this is being overweight or obese can lower the chances of pregnancy by nearly 50 percent. Wow! So that's that's a that's a um an area that could really be you know getting a woman could get support and and help on and something that she could help to um to to change her 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 chances of of conceiving um uh the you know when when women are overweight or obese it can change ovulation it can affect sort of the insulin um uh you know focus in the body but it's not just the women obviously it's it's also men research has shown that excess weight in a man influences their sperm quantity and quality so that's um that I think is probably one of the first things is to start looking at am I in a, in a healthy weight range um and uh if not let, let's look at that um before before conceiving to try and improve our chances of conceiving and so um, do you think maybe like a tailored nutritional plan can help both the mum and the dad um in this and and if so I mean how can a tailored nutrition plan and maybe help them and what would be involved if if that is the case then um, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's certain nutrients that are, are pivotal for for um, ovulation and conception, and then then um, there, there has been research around, I suppose, from a general perspective, <clears throat> sort of this Mediterranean um, uh, diet has mm. been shown to to help with fertility. Um, surprisingly, high-fat dairy products uh, as well uh, have been um, uh, shown to to be better for fertility rather than low-fat dairy 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 foods. And uh, it's interesting. I, I lived in Italy for about four years, many years ago. And before I left, we were in that sort of phase of everything was low-fat, low-sugar, low, 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 like everything go to Italy and everything is full you could never find any low fat um <laughs> or any of that sort of stuff and and I can see more and more now we're, we're looking more at the quality of the fats it's um the type of fats that we're consuming it's not that fats are bad um it's uh yeah so I, I think this is from that research that's coming out about high fat dairy products I think again it's emphasizing that what type of fats are you consuming? How is that filling you up as well? Um, so that you're maybe not high consuming, protein. Yeah. Um high well high fat and protein. Um 
and um, yeah, so it, it's uh, everything obviously in moderation too. But um, yeah, that's sort of an interesting part to the, the research around fertility, around having some high fat dairy products, removing those trans fats, um, so those processed <clears throat> foods that have a lot of of trans and saturated fats, um, and trying to build up other f- healthier fats, um, sort of wow. from your nuts. Your olives, your seeds, your your fish, your, um, your oily fish, those types of things, um, and also vitamin um, vitamin D and chromium are quite important for glycemic control and insulin resistance. So again, you know, looking at that, the weight as well, um, and many many people are. You know, it's surprising that in Australia we we our deficiency, our vitamin D deficiency. Is mm. is quite high considering you know, I've a heard that. country, you know all those sort of things. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it, vitamin D is, is a really important um, nutrient, and it and um, I can mention it maybe a little bit later on about how it's also important in breastfeeding um, too. Um, and yeah, so going back to um, also with, with the the weight and management is. Really looking at those foods that are high in fiber, avoiding those high glycemic index foods that are going to spike your um, blood sugars, and um, yeah, really focusing a little bit more on those sort of small and frequent meals to keep your blood sugar levels um, more um, more consistent. Yeah, so that's probably a very very general um, you know sort of nutrition tips in that sense from from a particular perspective i mean antioxidants are very important too um to to make sure that egg and and sperm are also um kept healthy and at, at optimal levels and um and, and that's sort of been linked as well with with reproductive health as well so what i'm hearing um the earlier <clears throat> the nutrition is just prioritized the better the outcome for mum and baby as as they start that one thousand day journey um but i mean what would you say is there any other optimal conditions for conception i understand that nutrition alone won't achieve the optimum conditions um for conception stress and those types of things as well um obviously play a big part um That's yeah 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 the- um, I mean, sort of. I suppose not my area of expertise of fertility. I'm probably more. I'm more in that sort of pregnancy, postpartum pregnancy area. But fertility is, is a whole um, new, well, not new, a whole new area that um, people will go into. But you're definitely in our environment and um, the um, the estrogen that's coming through our plastics. Um, or affecting our body to um, produce estrogen. So, yeah, looking at our outer environment, the plastics we have, the stress, obviously, you know, smoking, drinking, or alcohol, you know, those types of things as well. Um, but, yeah, from my perspective, you know, the, the nutrition and the weight management and being a healthy um, BMI before conceiving and making sure that um, uh, particularly nutrients like iron, mm. folate and choline are looked at before conception because especially iron, if you're already starting conception on the eight ball, that be on the what's the what's the, behind the eight behind ball, the, yeah. um, <laughs> then it is going to be really hard to maintain your iron and or to even catch up. Um so that's why often it's recommended, you know, three months before conception um, yeah 
Okay, cool. So, and and obviously reducing saturated and trans fats as well as just undernutrition in general um, can sort of help reduce that time um, of conceiving as well. Yeah. So just really quickly, just moving um, on to uh, pregnancy. Now, what are some of the, um, the nutrients uh, that are found most important during pregnancy? And what is, I guess, some of the possible effects of the baby um, if it's not exposed to them? I'd love to know. I wanted to mention that sort of some of the main risk factors in those first thousand days in um, that pregnancy stage for the development of uh, childhood obesity are also around what we just mentioned, that that sort of higher maternal pre-pregnancy BMI, but also excess maternal gestational weight gain. So how much weight is being put on um, during during pregnancy, how quickly, and um, maternal Maternal diabetes, so whether it be type one or the development of gestational diabetes, and then also that sort of genetic predisposition to to obesity as well. So those sort of um, those are also really important um, things to be mindful of. So not only in conception that 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 the healthy BMI, but also during pregnancy, how um, how much weight is being put on. I'm um, doing pregnancy in it, and I know that is a really difficult one for mums because you either um, don't want to eat because of you know nausea and vomiting, or you know you, you can't stop yourself because you just you, you, you're famished and and really wanting to sort of um, um, yeah just eat as much as you can. So it's very hard to sort of control control that. I understand that, and I think that's where it's it's really good to have a good medical team including a dietitian um through pregnancy um but uh yeah I, I wanted to just sort of say that so those those women um who do gain excessive weight during pregnancy the children that are born tend to have a greater fat mass at birth and then later on in life um and those women also have two to three times more risk of remaining overweight or obese again perpetuating this sort of chronic disease cycle as well um so um and then the same for diabetes it also puts the uh the, there's a risk then for the offspring to then develop obesity or diabetes um, too so weight so it's a, so it's a balance it's of getting quite, the right nutrients but also maintaining a healthy weight is that what you're saying yeah, well, I think it's it, weight is a huge impact. Like it, it plays a big part, and um, I think sometimes it's sort of just put to the side a little bit, and it's more about the nutrients. But um, yeah, in the preconception and the pregnancy say, um, side, weight is is really important. Um, in terms of um, sort of nutrients, um, I mean, obviously, a lot of women would be taking a prenatal supplement, and uh, that's where I think a dietitian can really play a pivotal role because just taking one tablet that's not individualized to your need, um, and assuming that you can get everything from that one tablet, and it's very hard to get you know the amount of iron that you need in a prenatal to supplement to keep your iron levels up. Um, there's also interactions between different nutrients as well that um, can inhibit or enhance absorption of those nutrients too so sometimes it's not just taking a prenatal a multivitamin prenatal all in one uh, and I think that's really again why it's important for for dietitians to to come on, on board um, as a dietitian we obviously focus on diet and whole foods and all those sort of things it's not that we're wanting to promote supplements but I would say as a dietitian it's the one period in life 
that it's really hard to to get all of those nutrients because it's such a high demand period in not only pregnancy but then also in breastfeeding. So, um, again, that's sort of where we really need to look at more of an individualised approach on um, what, what is needed. Okay, so would you say it's better for the mum to get a, a blood test before she starts, so that, that they start trying, so that way she understands what her ba- her body's maybe lacking, um, and to be able to then speak to a dietitian for an indiv- individualized nutritional plan, maybe. Yeah, no, for, for sure, for sure. I mean, also looking at family history, um, lifestyle, um, what they're currently eating, all those sort of different things, um, what their babies might be at risk. For, from as well through family lines, mm-hmm. yep. etc. Um, but there, there's obviously, as I mentioned before, some key nutrients that are really important during um, that conception and pregnancy time. That um, and that's why they are often either in our food, yep. as in fortified in our flowers, for example, iodine, um, folate, all that you know, from that public health perspective to prevent. Um, quite devastating effects, uh, this is why some of those nutrients are really important. Um, iodine is such an important nutrient for our thyroid. Our thyroid is a is a powerhouse um, working overtime during pregnancy and breastfeeding, so we need to make sure that we look after it. I mean, iodine is one of the – iodine deficiency is one of the most common preventable um, uh, intellectual disability um uh, disorders in in the world you know it iodine deficiency causes cretinism which is um uh you know uh, a, a intellectual um dis- it creates an intellectual impairment in in the in the brain the child's brain which are irreversible um and even now even with even though things have improved with um iodized salt and other things in the around the world 30% of the world is still at risk of iodine deficiency wow and it's not just in um, you know, low income fan- low income countries. It, um, you know, Europe experienced a lot of that uh, in in the past, and and that now is, you know, through public health and, and policies and um, fortification, all those sort of things has has really as well. Um, so I mean, so what I'm hearing <clears throat> in the prenatal phase, a baby is solely reliant on internal nutrients from the mother's body. And um, from what I'm hearing, the nutrients are the most important for for brain development, including folate, iron, zinc, and iodine, as you've just men- mentioned, as well as protein and f- fatty acids. But I mean, what is the impact on a baby's brain development if they don't have access to sufficient nutritional supply? Then, well, I mean, just in the iodine, what I was just saying before, it can affect their IQ. Mm. Um, and also affect the woman's IQ too, um, goiters um, and and other other things too. So, um, yeah, the, because of that, um, those early stages for brain development being so important, I would say really those nutrients that help the brain um, are, you know, they're, they're probably one of the, the most um focused on nutrients, you know, your omega-3 fatty acids, your um, your vitamin A, your um, your um, iodine, your iron, all those things are really important for the brain. So, <clears throat> again, going back to the 1,000 days, if we don't look after the brain and how that can affect IQ, um, how it can affect um, uh, uh, the 
the behavior, the learning, the development of the child, then you know th- there's lots of other things that can can result to this cascade effect. And um, I, I guess the thing is too, like when everyone is so busy just in their life in general, I mean, a lot of us don't really know what foods, um, folate, iron, zinc, iodine actually, you know, are high in. And as you just said before, it, it's not just a matter of taking a prenatal tablet uh, or supplement because everyone's got individualized um, naturally. We've, everyone's got different uh, needs for their bodies um so a, a tailored nutritional plan it sounds like it really is the key to be able to to give your body and your babies you know the best chance at life um overall and and to start it sounds like with with some form of a blood test from um your local gp to be able to um just understand where your body's at is is what i'm hearing because otherwise it, it, it is it's a lot to take in i guess for for anyone in in that phase and um what we ideally want to do is is to reduce any stress and anxiety and to make this as just as easy uh process as possible um and and starting off on that journey but uh so for what I'm hearing overall, it's it's really important to to be able to to take nutrition into really into account, not not to to look over it and and to start planning. Uh, is is about three months prior? Um, is ideally the right time frame when when couples should be looking into this? And and what happens if it's if they conceive? Um, you know, w- without all of this planning as well. I mean. What, what what can couples do, um, you know, to to ensure that, as you were saying, it's uh, if if they are already deficient in something, um, you know, I just love to know, you know, if if it's an unplanned pregnancy or something like that as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say probably three months is probably the minimum, um, and I think that really came about because it takes about three months for iron stores to be replenished. Um, so that's sort of the iron, let alone, you know, other, other nutrients too, can take some time. So mm-hmm. uh, that was sort of, I think, one of the, the main recommend, reasons for that, that sort of recommendation. Um, but, yeah, as you, as you said, you know, pregnancies can be unplanned um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to, you've just got to look at today. You can't think about what's happened in the past and, um, and just really concentrate on, well, how can I make sure my diet, my environment, my stress, my, all those sort of things are as healthy and nurturing as possible. Um, you know, you, you have, to, we have to remember that there've been children born in, me, you know, many, you know, malnourished, from malnourished mums and it, war, war, um, uh, you know, in places of war and all those sort of things, and I mean, there obviously sort of there are there are risks and things that that um, they are more susceptible to maybe later on in life. But um, once once you know you are pregnant, getting um, support from from your health team and a dietitian to follow up with you, getting those blood tests done, looking after your thyroid, um, and getting that tested. Uh, a lot of women can. End up having thyroid issues after uh, after pregnancy, yeah, because it's been been working so hard, and then sometimes it can go into this high and then this low. It takes a while to sort of stabilize with all the different hormones, um, and yeah, like you said, so you know, look at looking at some of those nutrient deficiencies that you may or may not have, um, and then uh, really looking at, at the diet. And um, uh, you know, I, I was talking about the sort of high fiber whole foods whole grain foods um and uh and i think going back to some of those other cultures 
those sort of rich foods of organ meats, of um, of uh, you know bone broths, you know, the collagen, and it, this is particularly postpartum. Um, I could go off on a bit of a tangent around vitamin A because obviously a lot of women can be quite scared about having any organ meats in pregnancy. Um, but that is uh, that is that research has often been around synthetic vitamin A supplements, not whole foods. Uh, the vitamin A is coming from whole foods. So I mean that's yeah, like I said, that, and that's probably another tangent I could go on. But um, yeah, really, yeah, really looking at the, those whole foods, those rich proteins, those really um, good fats uh, that are really going to help in um, brain and eye development for your child. And, and also to help you when you when you finish um, or when you have the child for you to also recover quickly well, because. And that's what I wanted to talk to you now about is about breastfeeding. And as a lactation consultant, I'm really excited to hear just your thoughts on this as well. You know, what would, I guess, as a lactation consultant, what, what are your key breastfeeding tips related to, I guess, the first 1,000 days? Because I understand breastfeeding doesn't always come naturally to all women either. So um, yeah. I just love to hear <laughs> what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely struggle with my my breastfeeding um, in my breastfeeding journey. I mean, generally, most women want to breastfeed. I mean, it, the statistics are around 96 to 98% of women start breastfeeding. Most women do want to breastfeeding. I understand there there are people who don't um, or choose not to or can't or you know for whatever whatever reason. Um, but the my focus is more around the the I suppose that education that and that support because it, that statistic drastically falls to fifteen percent by six months, um, and even by four months it comes down to thirty nine percent. And this is in Australia. Um, um so how can we support women like what are the reasons around why they're drastically dropping that 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 breastfeeding rate um how can we support them um yeah yes uh formula is is as close as possible infant formula is close as possible to our breast breast milk but there's still so much we don't know about i mean we're 2022 and there's so much that we're still learning about a liquid you know breast milk (laughs) um that's been around for forever and um and just so many exciting things around it you know these growth factors that the microbiome and then the bacteria that um help help babies in in their immune system that, that they're getting from breast milk all these things that we don't know about and um uh yeah, so I suppose my focus is is more around how I can really support women on on making sure that journey continues for as long as possible because of the importance of it. It's 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 nature's um, perfect food. Yeah, and um, and uh, yeah, when 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 children are breastfed, they're less likely to get. Um, gastro infections they're less likely to be hospitalized for respiratory infections they're um you know they're, they're less likely to go to the gp all those things then affect an economy as well so again this is where from a policy perspective and um and you know, having a society that really 
nurtures and encourages women to to breastfeed, I think it's it's, it's really important well, too. And we all know babies can face a few obstacles that cause distress for new mums: the colic, reflux, intolerances, allergies, and all the, these things can affect their sort of their growth as well. So, I mean, do you have any tips on how mums can help avoid some of these? I guess these harrowing types of experiences at all. Um, I often see a lot of women, um, a lot of women who come to me often are, are breastfeeding with babies with allergies or, or potential, like family history of allergies and um, and have, having some issues. So, um, but by the time they come to me, they've, they've often restricted so much of their diet that they're barely eating anything. Um, let alone again post birth, trying to recover um, all the nutrients that you know the baby has taken from them during pregnancy. So, um, yeah, I I would often say see someone early, see a lactation consultant early, see a dietitian early. I know people are trying to save money or they don't have the time or whatever it is, but the sooner it is fixed, the quick like probably the recovery is less. Um, yeah. So that that's one of my my biggest things would be to see someone early and and particularly around lactation is is to start in pregnancy, learn the physiology, learn about breastfeeding, all the issues that can come up with breastfeeding. So that by the time when you you know in the middle of the night, lack of sleep, everything else, you have some understanding of what could be wrong. Uh, if you're a first time mum, it, it's obviously you've got nothing to to base it on, so it is a, a difficult. Um, period as a first-time mum, but having that support and then having a lactation consultant from the hospital, like from birth, and then for the first few weeks after after yeah. birth to to be with you and um and support you through through that um that time to help you establish your your breast milk. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, colic and all those different things. Yes. Yeah, there's there could be lots of different reasons around that. It could be latch. It could be positioning. It could be your diet, the mother's diet. Um, it is. It can just be the, the baby's immature gut. It's still working itself out. Um, there's lots of different reasons. So it's hard to then go and say, oh, colic is because of that. Uh, and that's why it's really important that instead of Googling doctor, you know, instead of using Dr. Google, um, yeah, that it would be a lot more helpful to, to get some, um, some evidence-based answers from, from a health that- professional. I just wanted to read out two sections of the article that are based on research that I found really, really interesting. So just quoting the uh, the article now. For newborns and infants, breast milk, nature's superfood for babies is the optimum source of nutrients. It is widely accepted that both colostrum, is that how you pronounce it, colostrum? And mm-hmm. mature breast milk contain antibodies, healthy bacteria, and other components that help mit- mitigate a baby's risk of infections and certain chronic condi- conditions such as diabetes. And furthermore, a study from Brown University discovered three months of breastfeeding boosts brain growth by 20 to 30% concentrated in areas of language, emotional uh, function, and cognition. So um, lots of lots of benefits overall. But um, just wanted to move on to next, the introduction of solids uh, also I mean I read that you advocate for continuing breastfeeding when your baby begins solids to ease the transition and reduce any allergy symptoms that um, that might emerge as they adjust to this new diet could you just expand on this for us now I'd love to know um yeah so what I'm inferring to there is when babies are introduced to foods for the first time or if, if there was a tendency for some issues 
during breastfeeding, um, eczema, um, you know, mucousy stools, all those different things that may have indicated maybe some issues around um, uh, maybe cow's milk protein allergy or, or eggs or other things that um, when they do start to to have food around six months that um, by them to continue breastfeeding because of the um, the bacteria the um, the antibodies in the breast milk all those sort of things can really uh, help to um, alleviate any sort of major symptoms in, in the baby so it, it's, I suppose it's just more as a preventative, I suppose you could say. I mean, you would still be encouraging women to breastfeed um, up, up to two years and beyond or at least in, until the mother and child choose to to um, cease breastfeeding. But, um, yeah, by continuing to have those, those really important um, um, uh, antibiotics, antibodies and and uh, bacteria in the breast milk it will really help transition their gut as they um, as they eat some of these new foods. Okay, so if we were just to, then to summarise, I guess everything you know, what are the key nutrients and lifestyle interventions that need to optimise a child's future? So it's, it's low stress for a mum. It's, it's a balanced diet, um, and overall, I mean, I'm all ears really from you. Um, I. I would particularly, like I said, focus on those really good protein foods, those really good fats, um, you know, the, the fatty fish, the nuts, the seeds, where you get those oils from, the olives and things like that. Um, yeah, the 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 those those the the fats and the collagen that you you would get from those stews and those, those bone broth um, soups, those types of foods. Um, because that's where you'll get a lot of your iron and all these sort of other high um, high nutrients that we are, we're wanting to advocate for. So, um, and then on top of that is is high fiber as well, because high fiber is going to help um, with your gut, your bacteria in your gut. Um, high fiber is also going to help with stabilizing your blood sugar levels, your cravings, your weight gain um, as well, because it can help with your satiety or your, your fullness. Um, so they're, they're probably some of the, the main main things is from really good proteins, really good fats, um, and uh, high fiber. And, but generally, you get that by having a diverse um, whole whole food diet anyway. But you may obviously, like I mentioned, may need to supplement because of the needs that you're going through in pregnancy and, and breastfeeding. And that's where again, it's really important to to not just take a prenatal because it's more is not necessarily better either. Um, you know, there is toxicity with uh, and issues with taking too much of any good thing. So but doesn't the body yeah. just flush that out though? If there's too much of something in your system, maybe some things. For example, vitamin C, yes, but um, for for others, no. So okay. it can be stored in the liver, it can be stored in the fat in our fat. So it, it can have it can have um, effects uh, on your on your body but also the baby okay so these are the tips for the both the pre and the postpartum stage overall um is there any other key messages or any other key takeaways that you would love anyone to take from the chat today at all um no i mean like we mentioned i think the earlier earlier you you start the better um but in general you know if you're already following a healthy diet 
exercise, um, trying to reduce your stress, all those things, you know, that we want all adults to do, then um, you just might need a little bit of tweaking when it comes to conception. Uh, so I, I think that's sort of really the main thing. It's it's not just, oh, now I have to have a good diet um, or now I have to change. Like if you incorporate that into your everyday life before you even think about pregnancy, then, um, yeah, I, I think there's then less there's so many things to think about in that that period that you've got less things to think about if you're already it's already part of you it's already your habit it's already um, part of your behavior so if anyone's got any questions or they want to reach out to you whereabouts can they find you they can reach me on www.growthspectrum.com.au that's my website otherwise on my instagram it's uh, at postnatal roadmap or on facebook it's at growth spectrum um, I do, um, if, if I'm able to, I, I do have a, have a membership uh, that I have for pregnant women that um, has a range of uh, resources and support for them. Uh, there's a breastfeeding course from the Thompson Method Breastfeeding um, uh, um from Dr. Dr. Robin Thompson. There's um, FitRight Physio. We have um, pelvic floor videos, education around that. We've got getting ready for labour masterclass videos. And then when a w- woman is um, postpartum each week, they get menu plans, they get resources around that particular time period, what they need. Maybe the first few weeks it's around healing, wound healing. Um, maybe it's around breastfeeding a few weeks later, those sort of things all the way through until six months and and when the child is weaned. So um, check out my web, uh, my membership because that, that, I, that after my own experience has been how can I provide support for mums who can't get out get the baby into the car, go to the doctor, all the different appointments they go to. It's an online um, service with uh, qualified health professionals giving um, giving advice and you get discounts through it. And, um, yeah, it, I think it's just a really valuable um, resource or platform that women can um, really uh, feel um, uh, to reduce that um, sense of overwhelm before they yeah. go into to birth and motherhood. So definitely, if you're looking for evidence-based knowledge, empathy, and tailored care to both mother and baby combined, definitely reach out to, to Christy at Growth Spectrum. We'll have all those links in the show notes uh, where she just mentioned that you'll find a range of services from getting ready for uh, labor, postnatal ro- uh, roadmap, membership consultation packages, and all of that good stuff. Um, thank you so much for your time today. I've really loved chatting to you and learned a lot as always. Um, but for everyone watching and listening, thank you so much for your time. And really hope for the opportunity to chat, chat with you again in the future. Until then, take care. Speak Thanks, to you soon. Rachel. All right, bye. I'm Rachel Monteleone, and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.